Well, hello everyone. My name is Brian and today is Thursday, February 16th, 2023. And this is another episode of Lots to Talk About. And today my guest will be talking about um, several things really, but uh, the title would be What Can We Learn From Plants? And what an interesting topic once I dove into her bio. Um, and let me just talk a little bit, though, that intrigued me more. She's lived an incredible life, uh, as far as I can tell. It seems pretty interesting to me uh, from the outside, so I'm really excited to dig in. But uh, beyond that, what she's got going on now even kind of intrigues me even more than the background story. Uh, from owning a circus to working in tech and now studying plant intelligence and a bunch of other stuff, it's, it appears. Um I don't think it's been a boring life for her. And and with that, I would like to welcome to the Lots Project podcast and lots to talk about with Tagrilla Gardenia. Is that the American way? That's the American way. Can, can you please, <laughs> it was beautiful listening to you say your name in the other two ways. Could you could you do that for me again? Of course. So so my name is technically uh, a small South American feline. So the name is actually in Spanish. And then the second name is a plant, right? So it's Tigrilla Gardenia. But I live in Italy in uh, a place called Damanhur, one of the largest spiritual eco communities in the world. And so they pronounce it the Italian way, which is Tigrilla Gardenia, not the ya. And then the Americans just say, you know, to gorilla because it's easier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was uh, when when we booked your uh, interview, I looked at my wife and I go, I can't roll my R's. I can't roll, <laughs> I can't roll nothing. I'm 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 done. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens. That's why I always say it. There's three ways like you can yeah. do it this way. You can say it that way. You can say it the other way, whatever works for you. Well, could you introduce yourself to my audience? Um, kind of like the, the elevator pitch, like who you are, um, just uh, we'll dig into your background, kind of go where you've been, but uh, who are you? So I am a nature-inspired mentor and a leadership coach, and some people tend to call me the world ambassador for plant intelligence. So I study and work very closely with plants, mainly to understand them as mentors, as models, and as collaborators. And I work with people to help them understand how to live what I call a naturally conscious life, which is a life that you're aware of, that you're making conscious decisions, and that it follows a natural model with the rhythms of what is nature around us. Because we tend to think of nature around us, but we forget we are nature. So when you step back into that, it's like life becomes easier because rather than trying to go against the regular flows, it becomes something easier for you to kind of flow in with what life really is. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, um, this is going to be airing a little later in February, but last night, um, as we're recording this, I had an, uh, a talk with a friend of mine. Uh, we did a live show uh, and we discussed um, both of us are into barefoot living, uh, grounding, and my wife actually got me into it. She's been like over six months, but we were equating, um, the, we've, we've got down, gone down the road of like wave, wave theories and, um, natural waves and energy, uh, mm -hmm. and how much more in tune I am with that, the more I'm barefoot. 
And yeah. uh, we just we just have to know it comes from nature at that point. And so you talking about nature and listening to plants. Um, yeah, I've been down that road, too. We did nine years on a homestead. Um, if you don't learn from the plants while you're working with the plants, you're just spinning your wheels. So Absolutely. that really caught my eye when uh, when your profile came up and uh, I wanted to dig into that. But the more I dug into your profile, <laughs> the more um, uh, things I needed to unwind. So let's start from the beginning. Have you always been of a plant intelligent enthusiast uh, from a child or or how does, no. how does this all develop because there's been some interesting twists along the way yeah i have a really yeah like you said i have a bit of a weird background um for different reasons um so i i actually didn't realize that i the whole connection with the plants i mean now of course in hindsight is always 2020 right so i can look back and i can be like oh now i know why i did this and i did this but i wasn't conscious i was living in what is commonly known as plant blindness which is where you you really just don't see the plants in front of you and especially you don't recognize everything they do for you um i actually grew up so like i said I live in Italy now, but and I've been in Europe for about 15 years, but I grew up in South Florida. I'm your typical Cuban-American, bilingual, biracial, bi-everything person in the sense of um, uh, really connected into that kind of multicultural way of growing up. And um, I'm actually a music engineer and an electrical engineer by training. That was my kind of thing. The arts has always been a huge part of my life as well as math for some reason, math and music. It's like, you know, they kind of go hand in hand when you look at it in a different way. They, they really do. We've, we've drove down the music um, and energy, uh, like um, electricity path with um, uh, the relationship between whole notes, quarter notes, half notes, Absolutely. and electron, proton, neutron. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, you're there. <laughs> you're, yeah, you're, exactly. You're, so I'll connect, I'll connect back to how I did like this weird kind of looking thing, but in the oh, end nice. it connects in together because part of my work is I work with a lot of multi-potentialites, people with lots of passions. And I was just actually getting pissed off at a, at a Facebook um, thread that I was looking at uh, today where people were like, if you have multiple passions, you need to pick one and focus on that. And I am the complete opposite. I am like, if you are really looking at yourself as a natural being, the fact that you have multi multiple passions is great. Let's look at the trajectory of where they're all taking you. That's a different story. So I work a lot with that. And I, I follow that philosophy for my own life. So I, I went from, you know, graduating the university and then getting this job in high tech or what, you know, and, and working specifically in music in audio and video on the internet. So kind of the precursor to everything that we're doing today right, was right. like way back when in those days. And I did that for like 10 years and I loved it. And then I got to a point where, again, being a multi-potentialite, you know, things fall into your path. I was, I was acting, I was singing, I was dancing, I was project managing things like Windows. I mean, I was working at Microsoft. I mean, I had been doing a lot of different things. And an opportunity came in front of me to, to come and go back into the arts full time. And so I took it. I left the corporate world and I started to produce large dance parties. And that's where I also got back into my spirituality. Growing up in South Florida, 
in Miami, spirituality is kind of ingrained in the life that we live. You just don't even realize you're doing it. And some, so I didn't, uh, my mother had studied so many different things. So it was like always there, but we never had this, again, one thread that we followed. So um, I got involved in more esoteric arts and more esoteric spirituality, which was fantastic. It opened up a whole like ritual magic and theurgical magic type of thing. And I started to follow that road and that got me down to eventually um, working with a circus that I was asked to become one of the co-owners for. And that was a, a blast because I had this like light side where we would do these these events and these parties and all. And then I had this also dark side because our circus would touch both ends and that gave me the opportunity to explore those. And then my partner at some point comes to me and says, my partner at the time says, hey, I really want to work with Cirque du Soleil. And I was like, all right, let's let's make it happen. So we put our little manifesting juju in place and took all that magic I had been working on and like applied it. And at the time I was also starting to teach, I was teaching spiritual studies like um, sacred geometry and astral travel and uh, starting to get into and teach Kabbalah, which has been a lifelong pursuit since then. I mean, Kabbalah is like the mirror, the the thing that that helps me set the road of my life on, on, a, on a really fundamental level. Anyway, so to make a really long story short, I headed off to he got the job. We headed off to Europe. Uh, we were on tour for a while. Eventually, you know, the typical bad breakup. Let's let that all go. And then I was like, I don't want to go back to the U.S. I'm going to stay here. I can go back to the U.S. to produce events. I could teach here. And that led me through to a place called Domenher, which is where I currently live. And I've been living here for over 12 years. And Domenher is, like I said at the beginning, one of the largest spiritual eco communities in the world. So yes. I kind of like came here thinking people invited me here and they asked me to work on a project because of my background. And I thought, oh, okay, six months. And then I'll go back to Barcelona where I was living. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that was a, a bit of a while ago and I'm still here. So and the thing about the plants if, um, is that I, that's is where I fell in love with the plants because I was walking down um, our capital one day when I heard this music and it was, like nothing I had ever heard before. And I'm, I'm a big music person. Like, so I was like, what the heck is this? And when I followed it, um, I found the box and I was like, what the heck is this? And then I followed the box and the box was connected to a plant. The musician was actually a plant. And that was it. It was like, I was listening to this music and I was looking at this plant and it felt as if the plant was talking to me, like the music, you know, when you listen to music and you just know what the writer was thinking, like, you know what the writer was experiencing. That was it. I was listening to this plant compose this music. And I was like, are you, are you talking to me? Like <laughs> what? And that was it. That was like, you know, you, you, you get pushed into this giant reawakening. And for me, it was my plant reawakening. It was just like, oh my God, I want to know everything about who you are, what you are, why are you here? What's going on? And all of a sudden my world, just like the blinders came off. <laughs> yeah. You have those moments. You can't have a whole lot of them. There aren't mm -hmm. enough, there aren't enough realizations in life that are that eye opening. but when they happen, you're just like, if you don't experience that in your life at one point, I feel bad for you because yeah, that's true. that light bulb coming on and it can be a small moment or something like you just discovered your whole rest of your life. Um, when that light bulb goes off that it's just like, this is, this is euphoria. This is like, yeah. Oh, I've discovered something new. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It just sends you down a rabbit hole because you're like, I want to know everything. Yeah. Everything. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, so, oh, man. Wow. <laughs> so you were working. Um, I was so I was going back through what you were saying with um, with kind of your progression. Now, there was a couple things I noticed in there. Uh, it, it does seem like spirituality and more um, more nature based things come out of the Cuban community, the, the Caribbean island communities and stuff. So I could definitely see where that was ingrained without mm -hmm. you even noticing it um, as a child, because it's just what you are when you exactly when you when you experience it from that young, it just is what it is. Um, and then so you were working on music and, and audio on the internet. Was that around the time? What was the what was uh, Cuban's whole adventure there with the radio? Uh, uh, was Mark that, Cuban, that, absolutely. That time I period? worked. I did actually work on that project for a little while. That nice. I did. This was kind of in that same period. So I worked at Real Networks, which was at the time called Progressive Networks. But Real Networks was like the original Real Player, the right. original kind of Real Audio and Real Video. And I um, I came in just before Real Video. So video was like so my my expertise because of what i had studied was the audio and the video quality i watched every day 1200 clips encoded in all kinds of different very low quality formats and like tested all of these types of things it was it was it was a fun time in a lot of ways i mean it was the internet bubble we were we were really creating something that we didn't expect to be able to do. I remember having a, a meeting at my office once with some external people that were friends from the music world. And we were sitting there talking about how somebody could listen to a concert on the other side of the world and how amazing that would be to give access to symphonies and big, you know, productions that you'll never be able. And for us, it was fantasy. We were just getting there. Now it's like the norm. Yeah, I, I I hear the way you were talking about that, and how we're kind of like on that preface preface with like blockchain technology and cryptocurrency. Absolutely. That's one of that's one of my one of my little pet things that I work on. Um, and my friends and I will sit around and just contemplate what is possible, like mm -hmm. what is possible for content creators or like all different genres with this technology that we're being handed and uh, we talk about it the way you just talked about uh, the you talked with your friends about the the possibilities yeah and especially because back then i mean yeah of course people had some small streams and stuff like that especially the audio streams that were starting to happen but you know for you to get into the video world back then it was things like i remember we did huge concerts you know concerts we did victoria's secret runways and stuff like that i mean you had to have big money to put those servers up to be able to so we we were like, what about the little guy? We got to do something. We have to get. So it was just really amazing and a fun time to see how transformative. You know, MP3 players were 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 still not even a thing. I remember the first ones going to conferences and like trade shows and like these big chunky things and seeing all of these different ones and what they would become. And and it was just. I remember also we we did one of the first um, promotions with Rage Against the Machine machine where we had where we encoded in and this was funny because between the time I graduated and like so in the six months ish before between when I graduated and when I went to go work at Real Networks while I was working on on some stuff I worked at a CD pressing plant 
And my job at the CD pressing plant was what's called Q, uh, PQ markers, which is basically what says, um, it's what tells you where the beginning and the end of a track is okay. on a CD. Yep. So I had to put those codes in. So you work on a workstation and you learn how to put these codes in. So I knew that when you print C when you print CDs, I knew how it worked and I know how the masters and the, the mothers and the fathers and all these things work. So we, we did this promotion with Rage Against Machine where encoded in what's called the table of contents of the CD, that would unlock special music online. So you went online to a website and if you had the CD in the player, it would read it. And if it had that same talk, and we did this huge promotion and the day that it came out or like right before when we were doing this test, none of the CDs that were arriving to us to test, which Rage Against the Machine wouldn't give us the CDs. They literally flew, Sony Records flew a person to our office because they couldn't <laughs> let the CDs get out. You know, pirating now is like, forget it. They don't even worry about it anymore. But back then it was like pirating is it was this crazy thing. So oh, yeah. they flew the person there and when the gave us like, you know, 10 CDs to test, and of course they didn't work and nobody could understand. And I was sitting there going, where were these printed? They were like, oh, they were printed in different places around the world. I was like, dude, they're gonna all be different. And so it was just really a time when all these little technological things, you, you just, you never knew what was gonna come up because we were trying new things all around right. without it. Yeah, so now it it's really all on fun. your phone. Everything's here. Like that is the, so whole, true. the whole iPod and the huge MP3 player. I mean, and the big brick phone, it's all in one oh, yeah. now. I mean, and the cape, it's just, yeah, it's mind blowing. Like I was born in, in 78. So I've been through that progression of, Hey, we did my, my mom used to bring home the Apple two E from her, uh, from her classroom. Cause she was a teacher when we had a long weekend. Yep. Uh, so I've watched it all develop and it just, mind blowing like we had an ibm ps2 in my house that was like my <laughs> brother's where he started and it was just like i would sit there going yeah programming <laughs> in logo which is like go pen up forward yeah. 500 drawing the square you know, drawing the square and it was like yeah this is so much fun and then at school uh, you know we I'm had a our mac or whatever genius. exactly so the whole thing, it's such a different world today it's really funny too because when i worked at microsoft um, I worked on a tablet PC, which was the precursor to what today we call a tablet. So full tap, full computer, as if you have a full computer, but it was mainly, it was just the screen. It was the, the precursor. Um, it wasn't the watered down operating system that we have now. And it was just like amazing when we went from all this work on tablet PC, all of the handwriting recognition that we did and all this kind of stuff to then see the first like kind of modern tablet come out. And we just all looked at this going, oh my God, we could have simplified everything and made millions. <laughs> Instead, we were like trying to use the same computer. Right. But it was, oh, yeah. you know, oh, just yeah. all kinds of different technology that, that today some works, like you said, with the crypto world, like today we're still at the crypto world thinking of it as like a, a form of money. But instead there's amazing technology underneath the whole crypto world that I hope will take off and it will be really interesting to see where it goes. Absolutely. I mean, the just the functionality and record keeping and all the bureaucracy and like title transfers and deeds and all of that can deeds. just put, be put on a blockchain and uh, yeah, it's secure. It's uneditable. You know, like, yeah, 
Yeah, the possibility. Yeah, I'm. We could, we I'm could definitely talk for another hour that. and a half. <laughs> I know, and it's fantastic. It's it's fantastic because also in the world that I work in, like even with the nature inspired stuff that I do, I mean, the blockchain's already starting to come in there to help us, you know, follow the follow the supply chain. When you when you buy a house, let's say you want to know whether or not it was really fabricated with eco sustainable products. Right. You know, you've got tools like that that are now starting to go out that track that entire. I mean, even clothing, right? Because I talk a lot about as you start moving into the plant world and as you start really connecting with the plant world, it changes the way that you interact with other things. You you start to look at the world around you naturally, looking at around. It's so not forcing yourself, but I don't I don't want to wear plastic on my body. I want to and I want to know that the plants that I'm wearing uh, were taken care of and that were honored in the process of how the clothing was made, for example, and those types of things. So you start to look at things differently. So having certain technologies that are coming in place that allow us to track. I mean, even in our food, like it's not enough to just tell me it's organic. I mean, did you right. treat that plant well? Did you yeah. treat the plant well? Like <laughs> I went down I went down that road pretty hard with the homesteading um mm -hmm. i'm i'm carnivore keto ish i'm more on the other end um i'm, I'm carnivore yeah. too or don't 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 mistake it i know people oh yeah think I, that just... I love plants don't think i am but i am <laughs> but anything anything needs to be respected um mm -hmm. there's no there's no place even my food needs to be respected whether it's exactly. plant animal or in between um treat it like i want to treat myself that's to it. nourish me so use all the animal respect the animal respect the plant use all the plant don't just willy-nilly um uh take advantage of things and absolutely yeah, so, I mean, well and that's why when i oh sorry i interrupted you that was me oh if if you can't have um if you can't have that direct relationship with who produced what you're consuming and like you said clothes or food or along whatever line the blockchain is going to be very um, valuable to be able to track that stuff. Absolutely. And I think that that's exactly what we need right now. I mean, when we talk about when I give presentations, and I talk about plant intelligence, I often have, you know, the vegans who come up to me, and they're like, I'm confused, what am I supposed to eat now? And I'm like, the whole point is that you're supposed to eat everything, the same as there are things that should be eating us. And it's yep. a cycle of life. And it's all about respect and treatment and really not wasting anything in order to give value to that life, but recognize that when you, you know, eat your salad or when you eat a steak, you're still taking life. And that's just what it, what it is. And that's part of that cycle of life. Right. Right. So, yeah. So I see the full circle that you're talking um, into the tech, into the music, into the spirituality and back to nature with mm -hmm. all of those combined really now with uh, plant intelligence and plant music so let's start talking about that so explain to me the plant intelligence like a sky high overview when you say i study plant intelligence and plant music what what does that mean so plant intelligence really is around recognition that plants have um that even though plants don't have brains which we have historically thought of from a neurobiological perspective we tend to think that brain equals intelligence right and brain and it, brain equals intelligence 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 takes us towards sentience sentience takes us toward consciousness so it's like this chain of things that all starts and stems from a traditional neurobiological mechanism from the brain well, plants don't have brains. 
right? So we've been thinking up until probably about 20 years ago now, the thought process was, well, plants from the Aristotle started this way back in the, you know, way back 2000 years ago, the idea that plants are just kind of like alive. So you have inert, which is like stones, which I'm not even going to get into how that is wrong too. But then you go one step forward and you have living but non-sentient. And yet what we've discovered is that when you follow the way, the behavior, the choices that plants make, you start to realize that there is an intelligence there. There's actually decisions being made, which means that the plants have developed a completely different form of intelligence that is not reliant on a central brain or a central nervous system. It's Mm -hmm. relying instead on a a, a disassociate system, a non-centralized type of system, which is really interesting as we get into blockchain technologies. I actually think that in a lot of ways, what we don't recognize, and if you start going backwards, is that our understanding of nature will change our understanding and our implementation of technology. And we see this, these mirrors happening all over the place. And blockchains, for example, and the whole decentralization conversations that are happening right now, make perfect sense when we think about the biological understandings that now we have around the idea that plants are these decentralized systems that can think and make decisions and have memory and then can use all of that in order to choose the lifestyle that they want to live. So that's really the heart of plant intelligence. There's also an entire branch called, you know, plant cognition, which is the idea of rather than studying plants from a biological perspective where we slice them open and kill them in order to get there, similar to what we used to do with animals also, and we still do in some cases, but it's also the movement of, well, what does cognition look like? What does psychology look like of plants? And starting to understand them from a more philosophical, psychological and cognitive mechanism. So I study all of these types of things with the overall goal of understanding how the plant mind works. And the reason for this is because from my spiritual perspective, especially from what we teach here as initiates in um, Domenher, from what is called our school of medit action, we are in some ways part plant. I mean, plants are part of who we are because we are nature. Therefore, if I can reawaken my plantness, my inherent plantness, then I can start stepping into new forms of logic, new ways of looking at the world, new forms of relationships that we as humans have kind of forgotten about. And we tend to think of like romantic relationships. We tend to think about certain other types of relationships like, you know, uh, familial relationships and maybe business relationships, which tend to be competition, where from a plant perspective and a nature perspective, there's lots of different forms of 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 relationships and all relationships have their positive aspects like predation or even parasitism can be positive to keep an ecosystem in check for a period amount for a period of time therefore it's really useful for us to reawaken to remember who we are as plants because as einstein said you can't fix a project i mean a problem using the same logic that got you into it So we need to find new models. We need to better expand ourselves. Plus, plants have many more senses than we do as humans, which means, wait a minute, if I'm part plant, does this mean that I can enter into a different relationship expanding my own senses, expanding the way that I view and experience the world? Because as as humans, we just narrowed ourselves down. And, and we've gotten ourselves into a tight spot. I mean, we're, we're up against the wall. Extinction is around the corner. And so if we're going to get out of this, we need to 
change ourselves. We need to evolve really into other parts right. of ourselves. Yeah, that I, I hear you talking about how we're part plant um, and it really would kind of explain a lot of the uh, unexplainable uh, mm -hmm. decisions you make, not necessarily decisions you think about, but the the subconscious, the the um, the why did I feel that way? Like there's no there's no logical reason in my brain I felt the way I did. So maybe there is something else feeding me information, some other some other type of processes that are that are giving me input into what I am today. But exactly. And and a lot of that is a combination of languages that we didn't know we understood. But we are, again, beings of nature. So there are things in nature that come through chemical signals that maybe I can't. I can't recognize that I'm smelling something, but the chemical that I'm smelling is coming into me and it's reacting in a pheromones, way. And I it's mean, a pheromones. A there's, there's, there's phytocides. There's all kinds of different mo molecules that come in. And we don't really recognize that we, we are reacting to these. So there's, like you said, there's a lot of unconscious stuff still that in big part of it is because of this. It's because right. of the fact that we're not recognizing our other side. We're not, we're barely even recognizing all our animal sides, but at least well, yeah, I that's remember I that I'm a mammal. <laughs> Interaction with the animal side even seems just kind of being explored with pheromones is like the one that, that you learn about because that's the one that they've dug into and been able to do some sort of definitive proof. I mean, do we really need definitive proof for a lot of things? But, you know, the animal, the animal interaction with the pheromones, that's cross species. So it just kind of makes sense that why wouldn't we have cross species with plants also? I mean, exactly. It's, and yeah. that's it. That's exactly it. There's all these, we, we kind of allow ourselves to think of my animal instinct, but um, it's much more than just that. I mean, there's our plant instinct also, and that gives us other abilities to out there. And so the more that we dig into these, we could work with plants, even just from a biological perspective, for those who don't even want to go into the woo, Right? right. If you just want to go biologically perspective, we have all of that that we just talked about. There's the science of awe that is currently being studied heavily, which is the fact that when I step into a natural environment, right, when I step into, I don't know, a forest or a, a really beautiful park or just even in front of my own window right here, I have a huge um, prairie kind of meadow in front of me with a big tree and automatically Within 20 minutes, my cortisol level drops, my sense of awe opens and I start to like really feel inspired, my cognition improves. So there is a lot of aspects that I don't know how it happens, but I know that that happens. And then right. with that improved cognition, my problem solving skills improve, the way that I process problems, the, the fact that I feel happier which results in I'm not complaining all the time and therefore I'm actually looking at things with a positive outlook and I'm seeing opportunities in front of me. All of these different things, we don't really, I mean, sure, you could get into this chemical enters here, but even that we can't really explain how that changes mood. And so that's there's a resonance, there's a recognition that happens when I'm in that environment. I feel safer, I feel more secure, I feel more self-confidence when I'm out there. And especially in meadows, there's a lot of research around the fact that 
the relationship humans have had with meadowlands with that's why fire and is so important as a tool and why indigenous peoples have used fire is because the meadow feels really safe i can see where things are i can see where i can go like i still have a very positive feeling when i walk into a meadow or when i walk into a woodland area that's not too dense just right. the right amount of density that i can still see but enough right. density that I'm feel like covered into it, like that mix. And As all of hunter, that is again resonance. I, I, know, I know those feelings. I mean, even in the transition from walking from like, I, I lived in the cities, so I used to have to drive and go to public land to hunt. And so you would park in the parking lot and you kind of walk through the meadow and then you'd walk through the underbrush and then the, the, the less dense, uh, if you're hunting deer, the less dense woods and then into the woods where they would hide. Like that was where they hung out and felt safe because they were undercover. But right. I can, I can, I can, as you were talking about that, I, I didn't actually recognize it in the moment, but I can tell what you're saying. Um, the, the mood change as you transition through those different layers of nature, man, it's, it's all making sense, but absolutely. I, and I'll, I had a I'll question for you. Um, with one thing um so i've kind of gone down the road a lot of um battling battling um the status quo battling the accepted history things like that and like looking into prehistory civilizations say in north america and like all the things that have happened that we don't talk about do you right. you i have to assume you battle that in your world um, being on kind of a newer edge type of study, newer, you said 20 years ish, probably. Um, yeah. So, so you I have to be battling that. Yeah, I battle it on two fronts, actually. I'm going to give you one way far out there front, and then the other one, which is exactly the question you were asking me. The way far out there is that we as Dominarians, we believe in pre, we believe in not only we've worked with very closely Atlantis, we believe in pre-Atlantic civilization. So there's like that whole part. And that's like, talk about a history that never gets talked about really. But then there's the part of what you're talking about exactly, which is that for only it's about the 20 years and and I have, um, I have an online community, kind of uh, my own network called the Naturally Conscious Community. And in there I do commentary on, um, I do like live commentary on papers and articles that are really on the cutting edge of all these top of all these technologies and all this understanding more than anything. And I've I've started going backwards. I went 20 you know 20 years into the into the past to pick up like the first sort of person who decided the first group of people who decided to to write a paper saying plants are intelligent and the controversy that has happened since Career then. Suicide. Like, so so there is there's like this gaslighting being done by the the neurobiological societies of like there's no such thing as plant intelligence because there's no brains and that means we don't recognize all the things plants have done for us which is part of the big problem we have right plant blindness is not just that i don't see i don't know the plant sitting on my on my desk as important in my life I also don't see the services that that plant provides for me in any which way. I don't see the air that's cleaned, the water that's cleaned. I don't see the grass below my feet. So people pull them up and they do all kinds of different things. And I don't understand the relationship and why, for example, 
one study that I find that's fascinating is that people who live in a city environment, they tested with three different kinds of lots. You had a, a vacant lots, you know, abandoned lots in the middle of the city that were filled with garbage and stuff like that. Then they cleaned the lots. So just clean them up and have them be out there. And then the third it was that they rewild them. So they added, you know, wild, wild grasses and all kinds of wild plants to just grow. So overgrown wild plants, clean lot, dirty lot, you know, like filled vacant lot with stuff. And it turns out that people who, who lived near the rewild, anything that has that kind of like spontaneous growth, ended up having lower levels of depression and more levels of productivity. There's a whole series of studies around us. So like you said, the rewriting of history is also recognizing that, of course, people in cities are getting more depressed. The more you take away the nature in the city, the more that the people are separated from their own true nature, from who they are, and that resonance no longer happens. Why do we have a houseplant craze? We have a houseplant craze because people are looking to claw back that feeling, and they're doing it in the typical way that we as humans know how to do, which is through control first, right? First, I have to control it. So houseplant, I can control where you are, I can control how it is, but then I start getting these benefits. And if you ever notice a person who has a houseplant craze, you'll notice that at first the plants are like beautiful little pots, blah, blah, blah. And then as the craze starts to go on, the house just becomes a little bit more wild. <laughs> and again, it's that resonance I no longer need to control. Kind of like going back into what you were talking about relating to the deer, you know, the hunting. I'm sure of this. I'm pretty sure of it. You can confirm if I'm right, that as a hunter, you never take more than you really need. You you don't go out and sh if you see seven deer one day, you don't just go out and shoot them all just because oh, no, you saw them. No, <laughs> no. You, and, you would take. And I'm like, and I'm so I'm I'm an anarchist. I'm an anti-state guy. Like, I don't think that has any place in in telling me what to do. But even if the if even if the possibility of going to jail wasn't there, which I had the perfect opportunity, I had 35 acres and a bow that didn't make any noise. I can I can legitimately shoot as many deer as I wanted. And but I didn't because I understood that there was a balance there, that I was exactly. a predator. They were the prey. Um, and yeah, like the predators that would randomly kill um, that would just go in and kill like my whole chicken flock and never eat one of them just it, it feel it felt like um a waste and those predators i quickly dispatched um right. the ones that were just balancing the ecosystem if i had birds out and they were in pasture and one died i wasn't hunting down that coyote exactly but if that coyote was killing 18 of my birds and not eating any of them I, I was and I had very good luck with predators and I think it was because if I had a, a accidental death or something on the farm that went in the woods like I didn't bury that I put that out there for the predators exactly. for and and helped keep them nourished and then they left my shit alone. <laughs> Yeah. And also, as you as you already know, right, the reason that that coyote was probably coming in and killing all the chickens is because that coyote is paranoid that I can't get back into this coop. Therefore, I need to just kill everything I have. Like there's a whole series of psychological things that are happening there that is showing the fact that there's no balance yet. Yep. 
if you have everything open, which I understand why you can't necessarily have an open for lots of different reasons. I mean, I also live in, in a rural area, so we have lots of land and lots of different circumstances. But that's been something I've had to sit with to understand. And, you know, some of it is the research. Some of it is sitting there and watching the chicken coop and seeing what is it like we have, um, uh, what are they called? Monarchs. And yep. so from the, and so the, these are bloodsuckers, right? And so we had to like, look and see what is it that they're trying to do? What is it that they don't have? And unfortunately, because of the way our land is, and because of some of the other things that we have, of course, you can't always have everything in a hundred percent perfect balance. Right. But a lot of people, honestly, don't even try. And yet yeah. the research shows us that if you are, um, there's a wonderful TED talk about um, the best foie gras in the world, which is not French anymore, but it's, or at least it wasn't years ago, it was Spanish. And the reason when the, when this chef went to go check out what was going on, he noticed that the person didn't do the, I can't remember what it's called, but foie gras is, is engulfed chicken liver. Uh, I mean, not chicken, uh, goose liver. And so you used to do this thing where you like shove them and you shove the food down their throats, which is what most foie gras is. It's actually really cruel. And yet this person didn't do it because he had wild geese. And he, the, the chef was like, don't you have a cage? Like, don't you have some kind of coop for them? And he's like, no. He's like, you have wild geese that land. My geese might fly away, but I always have about the same number. And once a year, they naturally eat themselves until they fill their, their liver. That's how we discovered foie gras. So by giving them back their natural habitat, I'm just here with them and I'm just looking out for when they're ready. And then, you know, yeah, I have to slaughter and stuff, but that's part of that exchange. So I don't have to do any of these cruel mechanisms. They're not necessary. So part of stepping into this relationship of what I say, reawakening that plantness in you is really about that balance that starts to happen where a lot of things change. You eat more natural to your, whatever your cycles are, that's carnivorous, whether that's what this or that you, you find yourself naturally buying more sustainable products and clothing because you don't want to waste the life of that plant or of that animal. Like a lot of things naturally and comfortably change rather than giving yourself a checklist of, I will be better at this. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. I'm, I'm all on board. You, you, you didn't have a lot of convincing to do with me. <laughs> and like, yeah, once, uh, and, and you talk about unintense, unintentional consequences or un, unintentional realizations. I don't necessarily mm -hmm. consequences always takes uh, a bad rap, but they can be good or bad. I think benefits consequences. Like it's just, um, but like um, coming from the grounding, I, I've really noticed that 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 wasn't my intent, and my wife for sure was uh, not her intent to experience uh, the connection with nature it was more a functional thing the grounding and this and then this whole thing spiraled out of it and it's it's beautiful to watch um but i want to talk about the music because when you started talking about that one you lit up like like um very very just glowing um but your description of it fascinates me so i want to hear more about how this was happening and um and then i actually have a probably a pretty weird question at the end i'm guessing about it but let's talk about plant music so yeah so plant you plant music is um so here in dom and her okay so i'll give you the very very condensed sort of a little bit of a history because it's fun so imagine we're talking about rural italy 1970s 
bunch of people living out here trying to understand the, the studies that they were doing, paranormal studies and other kinds of studies saying, hey, we, if we're going to put this into real like application. We need to live together. So these people are living here. I don't want to say they're kind of isolated from the world because it's not isolation is not really the word, but it's just, you know, it's rural Italy. So they don't have a lot of resources for other kinds of stuff. So what happens is um, they decide that as part of their spiritual studies, they really wanted to get in touch with the plant world. They wanted to find new ways using whatever talents they had to connect and communicate with the plants. And so they start tinkering around with this device and create a device that allows. So we know that we as humans, our synopsis fire and our neurons, and we have like an electrical signal that goes through us. Plants have this even more action potentials that allow them to control certain parts of themselves. So they thought, well, what if we were to use that and convert that into waves of some sort. And then with some more refinement and tinkering, ended up creating a device that basically takes the resistance, the impedance between uh, the plant, like the, the leaf and the root system. Over time, that was what we, what we decided on was the best combination to create a, a frequency. And then from those frequencies, we can pass them through what's called MIDI and create notes of music. So Super cool, somewhat in some ways, simple device, to be honest. Right. Like the idea of I'm just going to take. So our thought process at the time was we're going to like listen into the to the mind of plants. We're going to see what plants do. So we didn't actually think at the time this was, again, like 1970s, late 1970s, going into the early 1980s. The idea was it was a one way thing. We were listening into the processes that were happening to plants. But any musician knows that as soon as you hear anything that sounds like music, you want to play along. <laughs> so that's exactly what people started to do, right? Some people would like pull out a guitar or whatever and start playing along. And the interesting part was that the music started to change. So we thought one way street, we're just listening to what's naturally happening. Because remember, isn't that what we say? Plants have automatic processes. Like the, the whole non-plant intelligence tells you that everything that happens between a plant is just some kind of automated response to right. stimuli. But here you have plants where the notes of music were being played and the plants were repeating the melodies, were repeating the notes. And now you have a two-way interaction that happens. Right. So is this like a like almost like a EEG or a, a, kind of? It's so like a biofeedback. Yeah, it's basically it's, biofeedback. That's, so that's crazy. That's yeah. Uh, and so it's it was so stupid simple though. <laughs> it's so so the hardest part of the whole device is the fact that you don't want to hard code it too much, right? Because right. you don't want to take away the control of the plant. At the same time, we know we have to create notes and notes today use, like you were talking about earlier, the intervals, you know, music has a certain intervals right now that we're just as human beings accustomed to listening to major chords, minor chords. You know, we have different kinds of scales. It's what we're used to. You now, have the, the, the pop hit progression. Um, exactly. Come back and said that every pop hit in the last 20 years has the same musical progression in it at some place. And that's why in it's some a pop hit. Exactly. And then you have, you know, your power chords that are missing the third. You have all kinds of different things. So 
we wanted at the beginning, that was what kind of we were using. So one of our first devices, which still exists in its in its more evolved form, it's called the U1, has the ability, and I'm, I'm looking this way because I'm looking at the front face of it because I have it sitting on the shelf over there. But basically the U1 has you the ability for you to modify very few things like major scale or 12 tones. It's kind of, it's um, uh, hard coded to a the, the scale of G. So it's like G major. And here's the interesting though, in when I finally came in and started working on this device, when we finally decided that the device was ready, which was, this was 2013, we decided that the device was ready enough to like put it out into the world in a new way. And here was the funny part about that is that I started to test and I started to send this music to musicians and musicians were like, that's not a G major scale. I'm like, what are you talking about? That's the scale the thing is hard coded to. And they were like, nope, like the thing you just sent me is an E major. And I was like, how the fudge did the plant change the scale? So they start to understand how to play around with this. And what in my experience after now, all these years of working with this, you know, it's been 10 years that I've been working with plant music. We now have different device called also the bamboo. And there's a device called the ginkgo. I don't work directly for the companies that develops this anymore. But I'm, of course, I, I, have my devices right. and I love them and I create, you know, I work on it and I've done research for it. But the interesting part about these devices is the fact that um, plants really, depending on the relationship you have with the plants, the plants really work hard to understand what is it, what do you want? Like, am I just listening? For example, there's musicians that work with the plants and through the music and so you can create interspecies music that it's just mind boggling. And there you have the two kinds of musicians, the one that's like, Hey, I need to create something that humans can understand. So let's use those pop chords. Let's use those, like those scales, let's do those things. Mm -hmm. And then the ones that are like, I don't care. I'm going to create avant-garde stuff because I want the sound of the plant and what the plant really wants to come out. And the same thing happens even with plant communication for people like me who use it more in that way. Or I did research into the effects of plant music on healing um, on human health. So okay. what kind of, um, and so I did a, a research study with some medical doctors here where we had people who had certain kinds of diseases um, where they listened to plant music over the course of a three months as a therapy and it's just been amazing to see all the different ways that plants are now using this music. Like when I first started in 2013, traveling to do presentations and to talk about plant music, it took a while before the plants really understood how to use this device. Like sometimes it could take a few weeks even. Today, you can hook up almost any plant and the plant will be able to make some kind of decent sounding music because there's this like learning and this evolution that's happening. And it's just... To me, it's fascinating because as a person like myself who language, plant languages is something that I feel very comfortable with. And I, I have like I have. Let's see. Wait, hold on. See this plant over here? That plant. Wait, this way. I have to go this way. There we go. OK, <laughs> this plant over here. Yep. It's like yep. this little plant over here. This Dracenia, uh, Tris Fasciata, does not want to give me a name. Does not want to give me a name because the plant says, you're supposed to work with me using your body. You're supposed to use and move your body. And that's where we're going to communicate. And so it's really fascinating to see that plants are, when you start stepping into that plantness of yourself, everything that we just talked about, 
but also going even one step further of saying like up here in the corner, I have a plant that is considered my plant business partner. And it's the plant that I work with to create projects, to create new programs, to work with my clients, because it's the plant that does a lot of plant music healing sessions. So has a really good connection to the human mind. Where instead the other plant that I just showed you, this little plant over here, is not very good with people. Like this is a plant that has been mainly in my house, but didn't come from that background. And so the music allows me, is sort of to me a little bit of a shortcut because I have always grown up and music has been such a powerful part of my life and music at a deeper level, not just like listening to kind of pop music, but more of musicians and as an engineer getting into the, the music. For me, that language, we often try to say that we think of um, music as a language, but in reality, language is a musicality because music came first. Right. So right. That, that musicality, that core essence is something that for me just resonates. And so I've been able to then work with so many different plants around the world to communicate, to heal, to, um, to create and, and share emotions, to also change logic because when you work with plant music, interspecies music, all of a sudden the rules of music making go out the window, which is fantastic because our music right. is a little bit codified, like you said. So you, you, know, it's so you um, as you're saying, the so you want to do as little hard coding as possible. I assume you're talking. So we have to take um, we have to take what electrical pulses, what frequencies, what wavelengths are coming out of that, and put it into an audible form. Um, but we have to choose what to correlate each pulse or frequency or length of pulse or or different changes. We have to make that translation. Exactly. So, we're, so, we're, so it sounds like as it's developed, it, you've kind of broadened that and let let them equate to what they just naturally need to be. Um, as much as possible. Our hope is that we can continue to build, not just us, but now there's other devices in the world beyond just right. the music of the plant device. But our hope is that as more and more people become um, aware and start to do this interspecies music, what we also hope will happen is that we'll start to play around with these um, other intervals and other scales that have disappeared. For example, Damanhur has a scale, a Damanhurian scale that's based on one of our books called Amskuzat that where Amskuzat is a, a, an alien boy living in the future with all these alien species. And so therefore he creates music using this specific kind of scale, which is, is very different than the scales we know. The bamboo device, for example, allows you to do pentatonic scales and other kinds of scales that exist in the world that already starts to give us different sounds than the major and the minor scales that we know of today. And the other thing we would love to be able to see, I, I I would be able, let me say, I have this dream of seeing things like, what happens if you give plants the opportunity to build a Fibonacci scale? Right. What if you, to play along and make music as a Fibonacci scale, what happens when you start to play with scales that um, resonate more with some of our earth kind of music that we've thought about in the past? Some things that may be more indigenous people have used because what we have found over time, when I would start to collect stories, which was great, was learning that, for example, um, I knew somebody who sent a snippet of music that he had recorded from a plant, from a tree, 
in um, he sent it to a friend of his who was a musicologist and the musicologist like responded to him going, where the hell did you find this music? And he's like, why? He didn't tell him where the music came from. And he's like, because it sounds like a type of music from, you know, 300 years ago in, in Bologna, Italy. And the guy, it's like, it's from a 300 year old tree in Bologna, Italy. Like, like that we tend to think that we record the music that, um, that describes an area or that captures an area, right? We have didgeridoo type sounds from mm -hmm. Australia and whatever. But when I was in Australia, many of the plants were playing those sounds. So now it's like, wait a minute, is it really the earth that's been giving us these sounds all along? And we just weren't able to really recognize the contribution and what would change if we did. So right. for me, it opens up just huge amounts of chapters of how we can start to collaborate differently and create music that not only is it beautiful and entertaining, but it's also um, inspiring and awakening and healing in all different aspects of ourselves. Is this, are these devices commercially available or is this a more on a research level? No, now they're commercially available. For example, if you just go to my website, which is uh, tigriagardenia.com, which of course you'll spell, slash yeah. music of the plants, you okay. can see the different music of the plants models and you can even just buy the music itself or you can purchase one of the devices. This has been the big battle for, for Domenher because as Domenher's uh, original company that would start to make these, I mean, they were kind of expensive at the beginning and now we've been refining and refining and as we get better and as the technology gets better and as we start to find you know new partners, we finally have like two models the, that are like the ginkgo and the um, the uh, bamboo, which have different capabilities, but are also really affordable. And that's, for me, been such um, an achievement for us to see this, the ability for people to just, like the bamboo is portable even, it has its own speaker, it has its own battery. So I can take it anywhere. And when I travel, I always have it with me. So I record plants in Egypt or, you know, I record plants in the US and I, it's so amazing to just, like my favorite is grass because we don't tend to see grass. And yet, like you talk about the grounding, right? What an amazing feeling to just be lying or, or standing on the grass. So imagine listening to what grass experience and what that grass right. is around your house. Yeah, Mind blowing. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. But we're kind of uh, heading up on an hour here. And that's that's what I asked from you. Um, uh, let me ask you what's kind of on the horizon from for you, what you got coming up. And um, I will have all your links and everything in the video description and the, and the audio notes. But uh, what do you got coming up? And let my listeners know where they can find you, what they can uh, be excited to check out when the, in the near future. Yeah, so the, the best place to check out is my Naturally Conscious community. Like I said, it's an online community kind of outside of the norm. Uh, it's not on like the regular Facebooks or any of those. It's its own platform. So it's just, you know, community.tigriagardenia.com. Super easy. And that's where we can have all of these conversations. So is really taking it a step Is there a portal for that on your main page? Yeah, there is. Off of my main page, you'll see it right in the middle. It's like join the community. And so this is a great place to get into all these conversations. That's also where you can find my courses and my membership groups, the ability for you to interact with more people. And we do, for example, like we have a book club. So we have a writing group. 
we have a, a gathering online every month. And then we have, I have master classes and courses and other stuff for you to enter into this. Plus I'm always available for one-on-one -on -one coaching and mentoring work. So that's kind of like the big place because I believe that it's that combination of, of individual support for your unique piece. And then the, the community ecosystem support that is so important in order for us to really evolve. So that's probably the big thing. The other things that I have coming up is I also have a group um, that's coming to Domenhurst. So I have a trip, uh, what we call a retreat experience where we're going to explore the plants um, from a, ancient civilizations perspective. So going back to the Celtic culture here from a spiritual perspective in the Sacred Woods Temple here, as well as from an urban perspective in Turin. And that's going to be happening in like October. So also from my website, you can find the Nurture Your Nature uh, retreat experience. Wow. So there's lots of different that things. That was pretty incredible. <laughs> it is. And if you want something, an easy way to get into it, I have um, a quiz on my website called the Spirit Wild Plant. So you can find your spirit wild plant because we often talk about spirit animals. Yep. But really, if you think about the masters of this planet, those plants that can show us resilience and deep understanding of their environment and how to adapt, it's the wild plants, what people call weeds. Right. Yeah. So, you know, dandelion and chickweed and purslane and cattails like these are all kinds of plants that have been around and exist everywhere for their adaptability. So how amazing to have one of them as your guide as you start to step deeper into your own plantness. Yeah, it's like the the dandelion that'll grow in, in a, just a asphalt, asphalt anywhere. It'll just like it's all of a sudden just there. Don't care. Anywhere. Don't Today, care. the writing, yesterday, the, the writing group met and their, um, one of their prompts was the defiant dandelion. And like, that is so the dandelion. The dandelion's like, you don't want me to grow here? I'm going to bring three of my cousins along next time. You just yeah, try when, to get rid of me. Or do you pull me out like four more coming back? So just don't even bother. Let me do my don't thing. Even bother. Just, here we have like, because the dandelion is the flower of Domenher, it's like, Everywhere. I remember the first time I saw a lawn where there was barely any grass. It was just all dandelions. Oh, and people yeah. were like, how beautiful. And I was thinking, this is, must be what like the Adams family thinks of, you know, where they look at things that we see as weird and then they see it beautiful. I was like, you're right. It is beautiful. I never even noticed oh, that. My, my neighbor, before we sold our property in Minnesota, my neighbor had like a golf course lawn, like mowed it every day, no, like manicured. Bad. Mine was bad. like six inches long with dandelions and clover and, and uh, crabgrass and everything. And he would just look over the fence and just just be angry Which, and i'm like dude this is great <laughs> it's super great it's better for the environment it's better for the pollinators it's like it uses less water it's less maintenance i mean oh, i yeah. do i do not understand the modern lawn i really don't i mean yeah. i get it from a historical perspective and from feeling like you know you've got all this but no mm -hmm. no we should not have it if you have uh, a lawn i'm sorry audience member if you have a lawn no Oh yeah. Yeah. Get rid of it. Let it grow in, have a garden in it, have a natural landscape, have something other than just so running your lawnmower to run it. <laughs> so much better. So much oh. better. Save that gas. Yeah. Anyway, Tigrilla, I believe that's the English, English. Yeah. Uh, it sounds beautiful. <laughs> I, uh, I really appreciate you hanging out. I, I really, that what a great conversation. I think, um, what a great 
launching point for somebody to go check out your uh, your website and uh, check out all your stuff. I definitely will be. I'll be digging in for sure. It's on my list of things to explore now that you've kind of opened my horizons to it. Um, I appreciate it greatly. Uh, I hope you have a fantastic day. I really appreciate being here, and I can give you the floor for uh, for whatever you want to say to wrap up here, and then uh, and then we'll finish up. Yeah, I think the only thing, first of all, thank you so much. This has been a really fun conversation. It's always, I'm always thrilled to be able to share this work and to share just to just open us up to new ways of thinking and, and new ways of being. So I really appreciate that you have invited me here and that and everybody who's listening. And if you have any questions at all, know that my door is always open um, to just help you really live and evolve that that green brilliance that I know you have within you. Perfect. Perfect. I'm going to roll the outro music for you hang out for a couple minutes. I'll catch up with you after, but it's been a pleasure having you. And uh, that's been another episode of lots to talk about today with Tigrilla Gardenia. Check out all her stuff at the links in the video and audio descriptions. And I appreciate her being here and we'll talk to you soon. I can feel the sun.